if you've got your Bibles, it'd be helpful to have them open to that passage. Like father, like son, like mother, like daughter, I chip off the old block, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, you're both cut from the same cloth, it runs in the family, you walk in your father or mother's footsteps, it's in your blood, you're a spitting image of your parents, right, we've all got these weird idioms in English to describe how we're like our parents. And sometimes it's good to be like our parents, right? Uh, But other times we wish we didn't really know them. You know, they're embarrassing. They still want to kiss goodbye at the school gate and you're like in year four. Like, come on. Now, I need to be careful here because both my parents listen to the sermons here. So I love you both. Just quick shout out to them. But we all have had those times, right, where we just roll our eyes at the ridiculousness of our parents. But whether we like it or not, they have shaped our lives in ways that we probably don't even realise. And sometimes that's been for good, other times that has been for bad. But at the start of this letter, Paul, uh, sorry, Peter, Peter calls God our Father, Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is, we've been given new birth. We have this new life. We've been born again. God is our Father. We are His children And that is a relationship that should shape and change us and transform us. But not in a kind of passive way, like what happens in our families. We're actually meant to actively make sure that our new relationship with our Father is shaping us. Actively, not passively. You know, sometimes... As I said, being shaped by our parents is a bad thing. They say or do things which impact and reverberate throughout our entire lives. And we live in a culture that calls us to cut out that sort of negativity. But when we lean into our relationship with God, and when we let that relationship shape and change us, there is nothing toxic. The God, our Father, is all good full of goodness and love, who knows what his children need. And he knows that living under his good and wise parenting is the thing that we need to flourish and grow. And so from verse 13 onwards, Peter takes that parental relationship with God and shows how that works itself out in our lives. And there's five things that flow out of what it means for God to be our Father. And so our passage begins there in verse 13, where Peter tells the recipients of the letter and us to set our hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus returns. But the verse there begins with the word, therefore. That is, the reason why we're to put our hope in Jesus is because of everything that he's already said. 
And you could summarize the previous nine verses with, what, with that verse that we read earlier, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In Jesus, we've been born into God's family. He becomes our father. And the hope that we now have is living and active because it's founded on Jesus who was raised to life again. And so since we have this living hope, Peter says to put your hope in Jesus and the grace that he will bring when he returns again. Look at verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Now, hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking. Rather, it is a sure and certain promise of what will happen. It's real. It's active. It's still in the future, but it is sure and certain and concrete. See, there is a future that God has prepared for us, and He's shown us what that looks like by raising Jesus from the, get, from the dead. Uh, see, the only future that we had before us was the grave, right? That was all we had to look forward to. But now, in the resurrection of Jesus, there's, there's a change to the game. Now we have a different future. And so Peter says, set your hope on that. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. We already know some of God's gracious forgiveness and kindness to us now, but we're also living between the promise and its fulfillment. And so the realization of the full grace of God is still before us. And so we look forward with hope that knowing with full expectation that one day we will see all of God's gracious kindness to us in all of its fullness and all of its brilliance on the day that Jesus comes to take us home. Now, it's totally normal, I think, for many of us to struggle with the certainty of that hope. We're full of doubts and worries. But that's why Peter says to have alert minds and to be fully sober. See, I said at the start that this is not a passive thing, but an active thing. We're meant to be actively leaning into what it means for God to be our Father. And so Peter gives us two practical instructions. Have alert minds and be fully sober. That is, roll up the sleeves of your mind, dust off the cobwebs, and get it ready for battle. You know, there's nothing worse than waking up on the day of your exam or, or on an important work day and your brain is just foggy and you can't think straight, right? But a couple of coffees later and you take some Panadol, like the ad says, and you kind of become, in this mental framework, you're able to do what you're meant to do. You've got your head in the game, the coffee's kicked in, the Panadol's working, your head is in the game. And so now you've, you're able to do the work that God's Word is calling us to, to put our hope in the future. It's going to take effort. It's not about letting go and letting God, but about having a self-controlled and attentive mind. It's being prepared to put in the hard work. 
Having your hope in the future doesn't just happen. We've got to do the work. And so if you find yourself adrift without hope, what are you going to do to anchor yourself in the hope that we have in Christ? What do you need to do today, tomorrow? What hard work do you need to put in to make sure that you know the certainty and sure promise of God and the grace that we have in Him? What will you need to do? Well, secondly, Peter says to be holy. And again, this flows out of our relationship with God. If the holy God is our Father, then we are to be like chips off the old block. We're to be holy like Him. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. See there that Peter assumes that we want to be obedient children? You know, I think if we fully realise who God is to us, that He is our Father and that we are His children, if we fully realise what He's done for us in Christ, then the assumption is that we'll want to be obedient children. And so does that that describe you and me? Uh, Are we wanting to be obedient children? Now, I think there's two ways you can make a child obey, right? Through fear or love. And the Bible talks about both at times, but love is always better. And the motivation for obedience here comes from love. God so loved us that we get an inheritance And we've got a future, we've got grace, we're forgiven, we're redeemed. God loves us. And if God loves us, and if we love God, then we're going to act in obedience to Him. And so that means two things. It means putting off and putting on. See, there was a time, right, when we didn't know what sin was. We lived in ignorance. We didn't know what it was that God required us to do. But now we know we have to put off our evil desires, those desires which are the root of sin. You know, there are some desires that are really good, but others are bad. And so we've got to ask the question, what are the evil desires that are causing us to sin? What is motivating us to act and to speak the way that we do? Is the desire to save face in front of others? Yeah, is it the desire to save face in front of our friends and family? That, that idea that we don't want to be wrong, is it that desire? Is it the desire to fit in at school? Is it the desire to be happy? Desire to be in control? The desire to feel loved? What is the desire that is causing us to be disobedient to our Lord and our God. As obedient children, we're to keep taking off uh, those desires. But we're also supposed to be putting on holiness. That is what is pure and good. 
And John Ryle, one of my favorites, he says that one of the marks of holiness is to be like Jesus. And so he says this, It will be our aim to bear with and forgive others, even as Christ forgave us. To be unselfish, even as Christ pleased not himself. To walk in love, even as Christ loved us. To be lowly-minded and humble, even as Christ made himself of no reputation and humbled himself. We will remember that Christ was a faithful witness for the truth, that he came not to do his own will, that it was his meat and drink to do his Father's will, that he would continually deny himself in order to minister to others, that he was meek and patient under undeserved insults, that he thought more of godly poor people than of kings, that he was full of love and compassion to sinners, that he was bold and uncompromising in denouncing sin, that he sought not the praise of others when he might have had it, that he went about doing good, that he was separate from worldly people, that he continued constantly in prayer, that he would not let even his nearest relations stand in his way when God's work was to be done. These things a holy person will try to remember. By them, they will endeavor to shape the course of their life. It's an incredible picture of Jesus, isn't it? And so just like him, we're to be putting on holiness, putting off sinful desires and putting on holiness to become more and more like our Lord Jesus. And thirdly, Peter says that we have been redeemed. Look at verse 18. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now we've been redeemed. And it was a costly redemption, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a story of how God tested Abraham to see how firm his commitment to God was. And so God asked him to sacrifice his only son. And so the test for Abraham was, would his commitment to God trump the love that he has for his son, the thing that was most precious to him? And that story, right, is just a shadow of the reality of what happened on the cross. That the Father, on the cross, the Father gave up the thing that was most precious to him, his only son, in order to redeem and save us. You know, to redeem something is not really a word we kind of use very often, but it means to buy back or to purchase. And you're often thinking about a slave market. That's what you do with a slave, is you'd redeem them. 
you'd pay to redeem a slave and set them free. And Peter says to the people that he's writing to that they've been redeemed from an empty way of life handed down from their ancestors. That's probably referring to the kind of Greco-Roman paganism of Peter's day. But we've got our own cultural form of paganism, don't we? It's centred on the self. Self-centred individualism. Worshipping yourself. And that form of paganism is still an empty way of life, isn't it? But we've been liberated from that and we've been given a life full of meaning and purpose and hope and joy. And that redemption was more costly than we could even imagine. More costly than silver and gold. It cost the father the death of his son. But in abounding love, the father and the son willingly paid that cost. And if that's what happened to us, then how, could, how, how can our response not be reverent fear? Peter says in verse 18, Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear because you have been freed from what enslaved you before. You know, fearing God uh, can be a confusing idea to get our heads around, but Michael Reeves describes what it means to fear God in this way. He says this, The living God is infinitely perfect and quintessentially overwhelmingly beautiful in every way. His righteousness, his graciousness, his majesty, his mercy, his all. And so we do not love him aright if our love is not trembling, overwhelmed, and fearful love. In a sense, then, the trembling fear of God is a way of speaking about the intensity of the saint's love for enjoyment of all that God is. You know, the staggering gracious kindness and love of Christ as he gave himself for us should produce in us an intense love for God that leaves us trembling. That is a good and right fear of God. See, because God has paid for us and bought us with the precious blood of his Son, our response can be nothing but trembling and intense, fearful love of God. Well, from verses 22 to 25, we're called to love one another. It says, have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. And Peter gives us two reasons. It's because we've been born again and we've been purified. And they're two sides of the same coin. On one side is our responsibility. We've been purified by obeying the truth. It says there... Uh, in verse 22, now that, you've been, now, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. But what truth is that? Well, it's the truth of what God has done for us in Christ. It's the gospel. And the gospel calls us to repentance and faith. See, what's the only reasonable response to God's saving work is it's to turn from sin and to trust in God. And many of us have already done that. We've placed our trust in Jesus, which means that we've been purified. We've, his, he, Jesus' perfect life has become our life. 
But on the other side of the coin is what God has done for us. We've been born again. So you look at that halfway through verse 22. Uh, Love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. See, whenever God speaks, it brings about transformation and change. The living and enduring Word of God brings life. And so we are born again. And so yet again, we bear the family likeness. We're to display God's likeness by loving each other. If we are born again, then we display His likeness. And so loving one another can be demonstrated in a lot of different ways. I'm going to hand it over to you. What might it look like to love one another deeply from the heart? Have a quick chat to the person next to you. What might it look like to love one another deeply from the heart? And I'm going to ask for answers. You didn't think this would be interactive, but it is. Talk to the person next to you quickly. Okay, that's enough time. So, what might it look like to love one another deeply from the heart? This is not me telling you, this is you telling me. Kevin? Spending time together. Yep. Up the back, sorry. Yeah, no conflict, no, uh, yep, no poverty, yep, no war. Thank you, Colin. Deeply committed to each other. Great. Yes. Yes, First Corinthians thirteen. Yep. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, putting the other person first. Great. Forgiving one another. Yeah, great. This side, this this column's doing really well. A little bit over here. <laughs> What's going on this side? Yep, sacrificial, unmerited deeds. Patience and graciousness. Raylene. Authentic. Great. Okay, let's go over this side. You've had your turn. <laughs> Mm, wanting the best for the other person, even though it costs you. This side's done. Okay, one more. 
Kevin? Uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah, breaking down barriers. Yeah, great. Good, good, good. Well, there's lots of things we could do to show sincere love for one another, right? But imagine for a moment how that would transform this community. Imagine what that would all look like if we were doing that stuff. All the time, not just sometimes, not just every now and then, all the time. Imagine what this community could look like if that was the sort of love that we had for one another. Wouldn't that be incredible? That would be amazing. What does the opposite look like? What does it look like not to show genuine love for one another? Quick, 30-second chat to the person next to you. What does the opposite look like? How, how would you not do that? Okay, that's your three seconds up. So, what does it look like not to show genuine love for each other? Kevin, you're on a roll. Unforgiving. Yes. Selfishness. Selfishness. <laughs> what we see in the world today. Yep. There's someone over here. Yep. Meanness. Yep. Angela. Gossip, slander, abandonment. Thank you. Apathy. Someone over here raised their hand. Trish. Division. Yep. Okay. Peter's got his own list, right? So chapter 2, verse 1, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Now, obviously not exhaustive. We've come up with a few others as well. But all these sorts of things, they don't match someone who's been purified. They don't match someone who's a child of God. And again, imagine what that sort of behaviour would do to this community it would rip it apart, right? And so let's aim. Let's aim for the good stuff, right? Let's love each other genuinely from the heart. Let's be that sort of community. Well, our last thing that Peter has to say to us. Let me read verses 2 and 3. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Verse 2 tells us what to do. We're to crave pure spiritual milk. And verse 3 tells us why we're to do it. Because we've tasted that the Lord is good. We, we know God's goodness. 
We know that because we've sung about it today. We've read about it. We've prayed about it this morning. Out of his goodness and love, he's saved us and he's redeemed us. But many of us have also seen his goodness in our lives. God's continual faithfulness, his peace, his love, his joy. We've seen his goodness objectively in the cross and we've experienced it personally in our lives. And so we know his goodness. And so we're to crave pure spiritual milk. But what is that? Spiritual milk? What is that? It could be the word of God. Could be that. But here it's probably referring to God himself. We've tasted God's goodness to us in Christ. And so we should want more of him. And the more that we can get of Jesus, the more the more that we will grow. Peter's not telling us to crave the Word of God, as if he's commanding us to listen to more sermons or or to read the Bible more. As good and even necessary as those things may be, what we need is Jesus himself. We don't need to know more about Jesus. We just need more Jesus. And obviously the way to have more of him is through listening to God's Word. God meets us in his word. And so if we want more of him, then we need to go there. But the goal is not knowledge. The goal is God. To know God. To get more of him. And the more that we can have of him, the more that we will grow. And if you know anything of his goodness, then obviously you'll do whatever you want to get more of it. More of him. And so are we leaning into our relationship with God? God's Word is urging us to let God's relationship with us shape and change us, to become chips off the old block. We're to become spitting images of Christ himself, who was always loving, always caring, always humble, like his Father. He always obeyed the will of his Father, all the way to the cross. And so if God is our Father, then let's do everything that we can to be like Him. Let me pray, and I'm going to pray a little bit from Psalm 42. Let me pray. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Father, thank you so much for the, for the way that you have saved us, the way that you have loved us. Father, I pray that we would be a community of people who love and obey you and cherish you. Father, please help us to thirst and long after you. Father, would our adoption as your children be something that really shapes us and transforms us? I pray. Amen.